This week's episode 35 Rimmer World Original air date 4th of November 1993 Hello and welcome to Scottcast 35 This week I'm joined by Anthony Hello This week we'll be reviewing the episode Rimmer World after a quick synopsis read by Anthony The gang come across the simulant ship they nearly destroyed in Gunman of the Apocalypse and decide to board the ship and loot it for supplies, despite the fact that a loud noise could cause it to disintegrate. They find a time and matter transporter on board and take it with them. One of the simulants is still alive and attacks them. Rimmer, always the brave, jumps in an escape pod, but when it releases, the ship begins to fall apart. The rest of the crew use the transporter to get back to Starbug and track the pod, which is headed down for a planet. Unfortunately, the escape pod goes through a wormhole on its way, causing Rimmer to be on a completely different time stream than Starbug. When he reaches the planet, Rimmer uses technology from the pod to create a woman in his image, but no matter how many times he tries, all he can do is clone himself. When Starbug reaches the planet on the normal time stream, 600 years have passed on the planet and the Rimmer clones have taken over, banishing the original Rimmer to a dungeon. The others are captured and also thrown into the dungeon because they are different. They find their Rimmer and use the teleporter to escape, but end up on Starbug two weeks in the future, where they learn that something terrible has happened to Lister. Thank you very much, Anthony. Now, this was meant to be an audio synopsis read by Smeekheed from the forum. But I don't think the email ever came through. I did have a look around for it. So thank you anyway, Dan. Um, I know you said it took you three hours to record, but um, we don't seem to have it. So <laughs> The first scene starts and you've got Rimmer. Uh, well, he's having a medical. Crichton kind of has to lie to him to well, break the news gently, but he's going to die. Because he's uh, an exact replica of his living being, he's got heart conditions and he's been told by Crichton that he could actually die well he, he mentions his uh, his whole family's health history yeah um, I mean there's a, there, there is actually a deleted scene also that goes on to explain how every single one of his brothers went insane and crashed their ships killing all on board Ah, okay. um, I mean, that struck me as odd straight away because I always thought his brothers weren't like Rimmer they were more balanced and what have yeah, you yeah I mean, um, that, but that, yeah, it seems it seems to be a, a family flaw that he's got of not not just physical health, mental health problems, and they all seem to have um, been inherited by the hologram of Rimmer. Yeah, Crichton says there is T count is high, which is um, it's the holographic version of um, a high blood count, and he's been told that he's got to basically chill out. I mean, obviously they go through all these adventures week after the week. He's been told he's got to chill out, otherwise he could have, like, a hologram heart attack and die. And um, this is where Crichton gives him the worry balls. So, like, two large ball bearings, and he's just got to play with them whenever he gets stressed. (laughs) Play with your balls. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The next scene starts, and the boys have come back to the Simulan ship from the government of the apocalypse they've decided that what they're going to do is go and go and loot it steal everything that they need um, because the fridge is broken on on starbuck and basically they're sick of eating nettle soup Crichton suggests that the simulants do have a large food supply because they like to keep their prey well alive basically and just torture them year after year um, I, I think he mentions at some point that the simulant could stay alive or should say keep the prey alive for up to 40 years it doesn't bear thinking about, does it? No. Um, well, thing is here, Lister actually says that it's the same a couple of weeks back. Yeah. Which, for the viewer, it's perfect uh, timing because the, on the original broadcast, two weeks previous was the encounter with the simulant ship and the of the apocalypse. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, my thinking is they've been travelling for two weeks, so unless they've gone in a big circle, uh, a la Holiday or do. Um, they should surely be two weeks away from this crippled simulant vessel. Yeah, which I've, I found very strange that they come back, on, well, to this very same ship again. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, if they're flying and heading for Red Dwarf to pick it up, they're not going to, well, they shouldn't be doing a full 180. Oh, should say, no, unless, Rimmer's, uh, <laughs> unless Lister's deliberately gone back on themselves to go back to this ship. But it just strikes me as odd if they're supposed to be tracking and, you know, and Red Dwarf. Yeah. The next scene starts and Lister mentions that the reserve fuel tank got punctured during um, 
during the last episode, and they're running low on fuel. So that's why they've got to go and raid the simulant ship. Crichton saying, well, all the displays are okay. And Lister's like, ah, well, I actually rigged all the displays. We're actually uh, running on a lot less than that. And that's when um, you start seeing Rimmer get really stressed and the stress balls are going. He says the fuel tanks were punctured on the... Um, he describes it as that ocean moon crash. Yeah. And, I mean, instantly I thought back to the Gelf moon crash uh, from... Yeah, that's where I thought it was. Uh, I mean, they did say they was aiming for uh, an ocean, but I mean, it didn't look like an, o- an ocean moon, did it? The but, the muddy puddle, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I assume it was, you know, emo hawk, you know, polymorph too. Yeah. Um, Lister goes on to insist that Rimmer has to come and help. Tells him he's got to uh, wear his uh, hard light remote belt. That's right. We yeah. need all we need all the hands we can muster. Uh, firstly, I've never heard of this hard light remote belt before. Now, I don't think. I can only I assume, I mean, I, I know what you mean with this, and I only assumed that maybe it was some kind of remote power. I've not, just something I've never noticed before, and presumably it does the same job as a hollow cage, you know, from yeah. Series 2, from Thanks for the Memory. Um, but also, I mean, something else I noticed as well, if you watch him on the simulant ship... Right. It doesn't lift a finger. He leans on the wall with his arms folded. Everybody else is loading carting boxes onto the uh, teleporter, and he just, you know, stands there moaning and whinging at them. That's it. <laughs> Don't lift a finger. Yeah, but that's Rimmer for you. <laughs> just because he can lift a finger doesn't mean he has to. The next scene starts, and they're on the simulant ship, and... Crichton says there's life form. He has, however, said that the ship's about to crumble, so they can't even use the bazookoids. So even if they do meet a simulan, they can't do anything at all. Um, otherwise, the ship might blow up, which is really not a good situation to be in, not with the simulans being as they are. <laughs> they can't even speak loudly, can they? No. <laughs> they find a teleporter in there, which is this like black pad, and that's how they're going to shift all everything across now i would have thought just firing that up would have caused like a a massive ship quake Mm -mm, possibly yeah the female simulant the the one from the gumman episode the doubled eyebrowed woman thing she finds them and she's all a bit blown to bits and she's obviously going to kill them well this is uh liz hicklin again isn't it the um what they actually did was they filmed this episode was actually filmed immediately before they filmed Gunman of the Apocalypse. Okay. And obviously this enables them to use the same simulant sets as what they used. And it also ties in nicely for the availability of uh, Liz Hicklin to, you know, play this role. Yeah. So she yeah. came in and played the second part of her story. She recorded that first and then recorded the Gunman of the Apocalypse scenes after that. Right, okay. Being a simulant, she shoots at them and it, it sets off a ship quake. So anyway, the the world's falling apart and uh, they're trying to save themselves. Rimmer somehow has got behind her and Lister, he's talking to the simulant but kind of give, trying to give code of messages to Rimmer, just basically saying, now <laughs> would be a really good time. <laughs> Things like this. Not, very, not, not very subtly either, is it? No. Um, <laughs> well, they, they, I mean, this here, it's actually the simulant's attempt is to kill everyone along with herself. You know, she actually says, you know, I'm I'm dying, you know. I can't remember the exact words now. Does she say care to join me or something along them lines? Um, it's because of this scene. Um, in there was a 1996 uh, series repeat, okay. and they stopped the broadcast of this episode. They didn't broadcast it. This is according to Wikipedia. Uh, apparently, it was because it was deemed disrespectful after the Dunblane school massacre. Oh, okay. You know, um, obviously, she basically was killing everybody along with herself. So, yeah, out of respect for Dunblane, um, for the Dunblane school massacre, it was taken off the air, not, you know, not broadcast. Oh, right. Okay. But, I mean, I mean, you've got the bit here with Rimmer as well going going for the um, escape pod. Yeah. Now, I love the characterization here because. Um, We've always said Rimmer is is a very developed character as the ser- as each series goes on. Yeah, um, he softens as it goes on. He's not so up himself. He's not so um, he's not as regimented as he was at the beginning. Yeah, and you yeah. never know what you're going to get. 
uh, you, you know, so you've got this slightly new softened Rimmer who is still cowardly and what have you. And the fact that we actually get, he reverts to the original cowardly Rimmer way, looking after number one. It's yeah, nice yeah. to see the old Rimmer actually appear and just, I think I'm going to tiptoe over here and just look after myself. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as you said, uh, Rimmer runs for the escape pod instead of helping them. But him blasting off, um, well, obviously a gun blast is setting off a ship quake. Him blasting off in that sets the entire ship just falling apart. <laughs> it just starts to disintegrate, don't it? Yeah. So what they do, they decide to use the teleport. They all jump on and hit a few buttons. And they somehow end up in the past with a teleporter, which kind of threw me a little bit. Because I thought it was just like a matter transporter and moving the stuff from the Simlian ship across to Starbug. I didn't think it could do the time. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I'd not. I think this is the first time I really picked up on the fact that they got it off this simulant ship. And yeah. I always assumed it was the, um, you know, the from uh, from meltdown. Waxworld. Yeah, from meltdown with the, uh, you know, it was the teleporter panel, uh, matter transporter. That's right. Yeah. Um, but no, it, yeah, it appears to be some sort of time machine as well. Yeah, which threw me. I mean, I can understand why they've done it for the story arc, but this it, it wasn't that matter transport. It was a total different design to that. You would have assumed that as they were loading everything onto that plate, that's, it, it was purely a transporter. Well, this is just it. I mean, the, the teleporter they hold as well, the, the handheld device, Yeah, I just thought that was the... Um, Controller. Yes, you know, the actual pan, pads itself on the floor were what caused the like the uh, star trek um teleporte uh, yeah yeah i think what you call them now you know what i mean anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean one thing i notice as well is they go back two weeks in time yeah and uh, you notice how the cats got the same outfit on they've all got the same outfits on with the exception of rimmer and he's the only one that's had a change of clothes he's he's back in the old red uniform Ah, okay. So, the, as we mentioned a couple of episodes back, the switch between um, hard and light holograms is the red and blue. Yeah, well, he's, he's in the red, but I would assume that this is um, sometime around... It's got to be sometime around uh, Emo Hawk, because uh, Cat's wearing the same outfit when he first bumps into the simulants. Yeah. And I can't imagine him ever being seen wearing the same outfit on three different occasions. Do you think that was done on purpose, the... The same outfit. I know there was the little thing where the cat's saying, we can't let her go because she's seen me in the same outfit twice and nobody sees me in the same outfit twice. I personally, I would say it's got to have been... I mean, unless they didn't know how far apart they was going to broadcast these. I don't know if this was scheduled to be... originally scheduled to be broadcast earlier. Right, okay. Than that, maybe. Uh, I mean, that might be the answer there. So originally they thought... I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> well, we'll see what Rudolph has to say about it on the forum. So we'll see on the show notes for that. Thank you very much. As as the ship is actually blowing up the simulant ship, yeah, and um, they run back to you know they get back to Starbuck and they have to take off um, from inside of um, some sort of landing bay. In yes, the simulant yeah. Ship. Uh, now, when you see him come into dock, it looks to me as if it was some sort of an external docking. Um, the simulant ship didn't look anywhere near big enough to accommodate Starbuck. No. I know. And I actually went back and watched it again. Um, and yeah, to me, you know, it just didn't look right. Um, yeah, it was just kind of perched on the end, wasn't it? It wasn't docked such. It, well, it doesn't stop. I mean, it could have actually carried on, but to me, it looked as big as, you know, the front part of the simulant ship, which, uh, according to this, and I don't know if this was some sort of um, stock footage, maybe, that they'd got of um, Starbug taking off from some exploding landing bay uh, whether that's an answer I don't possibly know. yeah yeah hmm. the next scene starts and rimmer comes on the screen and he's saying basically he's the hero because he disappeared in the escape pod it started the ship quake and he saved all our lives um <laughs> he did he did in fact ask how they actually got away and he says, and they went, oh, we got away with the teleporter. And he went, oh, okay. Not the only method, but as good as any. Um, yeah. Well, the, this is where you get the cat's line. Um, when he finds out that, you know, Brimmer, he says, um, well, he says all in all, a 100% successful trip. And then Crichton points out that they've lost Mr. Rimmer. Yeah. Because, like I said, all, all in all, a 100% successful trip. Yeah. Well, 
Lister's up to his old tricks again. Craig Charles is up to his old tricks again. And the first time Cat recites that line, Craig Charles says it with him. He's mouthing the words along. It, it does it again just a few seconds later when um, they're talking about forming an orderly queue behind the gun sights. Cat's line, form an orderly queue behind the gun sights. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Craig Charles is reciting that line as well, or mouthing the words for that one. It's almost as if he doesn't realise that he's in shot, you know, he's in camera shot. Yeah, or yeah. as if he's been over-rehearsing and he's just, he's forgot that this is the actual proper run. And he's just um, remembering everybody's lines. Yeah, just does it in his, as if he's getting geared up for his line because he knows it follows that one. Yeah, yeah. Rimmer, because in an escape pod, he's actually uh, moving away too fast for them to catch up. The pod itself is um, it's programmed to find the nearest S3 planet, which Crichton does some calculations, and it's uh, one and a half years away in the pod, which is pretty awful, to be honest. It then changes direction, and there's another one four days away but it means they do have to go through a black hole rimmer goes through it but with the time dilation the time on their side and by the time they catch him up 600 years will have passed on the other side so the pod off it goes and through this little wormhole he breaks up on the screen and off he goes yeah i love the fade out on that because he's um he's, he's just starting to have a rant at Crichton, isn't he and the rest of the crew and it just fizzles out with static and you don't actually get to hear what he says yeah <laughs> you know you, you can imagine various nasty words but yeah, yeah. <laughs> few chosen words i believe oh yes the next scene starts rimmer investigates this desert planet that he's on something that mentioned in the previous scene was that the pod would probably have uh, terraforming equipment on and everything in his five so he's going to be okay he uses some um, eco-accelerator rockets, and for six days and nights, the planet changes and turns into a, a habitable planet, and he turns it into Rimmer World. Because he's there and he's bored, and he's going to be there for 600 years, he decides to use the cloning machine that they've got on board, and he creates a clone from his own template, uh, obviously wanting a woman. But what you get is another Rimmer. <laughs> Or a, a body double of a Rimmer. Yeah. <laughs> somebody somebody with a rear end that uh, matches up to Chris, uh, Chris, Chris Barry's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I, I laugh at this part when he's talking about, uh, technically, it would be my identical twin sister. And I thought, well, you know, is it right to have a relationship with her and morally where do we stand? And I figured, well, it's probably best just not to tell her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which shows the kind of guy he is. Uh, quite, quite sick. Um, well, you know the cocoon that yeah. the uh, clone comes out of? Yeah. That was actually rescued from the Alexi Sales uh, BBC Two comedy show that he did. It oh, was okay. just something that, got, they'd, uh, you know, Alexi Sales it used on his show. Uh, this is according to the DVD booklet. Um, the, it's something else I wanted to ask as well is we've used Rimmer's uh, organic DNA to create the clone. Yes. Now, I thought the last piece of uh, DNA that Rimmer had was um, way, way back, Series 2, was it? It was when he, really was it early DNA? on, yeah. Was it, was it DNA? I think it was. When yeah. Cat's looking at it through the microscope. And, and sneezes, sneeze. yeah. And I thought that was the last piece of um, Rimmer DNA that we'd ever come across. Unless somehow the hard light hologram does have some kind of DNA which you can clone. I don't know. It seems unlikely, don't it? Yeah. Unless, uh, I don't know, maybe there was something on his clothes. Maybe maybe he's laid on a bed, which has once upon a time had one of his hairs or a fleck of skin <laughs> or something. I, I, I don't know. We're over-analysing again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next scene starts. The boys turn up. It's 600 years on. They're coming along the planet and they find out that there's actually thousands of life signs. And they were asking the question whether they actually landed on an inhabited planet. Just as walking through this woody part, you get like three, four centurions jump out on them. And yeah. typical built-in Rimmer's image, but old, olden day centurions. Well, the, they say on the uh, commentary, they're on about these uh, exterior shots, how... Um, you know, even now they can remember how freezing cold it was during shooting. Yeah. Obviously, Rimmer's out there in Centurion clothes, so it's um, it's not the warmest of outfits to wear. <laughs> and when somebody points it out to you, if you watch it, you can actually see how cold he is, you know, where every time he steps out with a spear in his hand. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's uh, everybody else is wrapped up in you know fairly warm. Not, is there uh, little skirt and boots? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Lister says, I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but take me to your leader. <laughs> so they do. And there's this, I don't know, it's almost like a, a Caesar type character, isn't it? Um, sat in a chair with uh, a couple of maidens around him, centurions, all clones of Rimmer. Um, well, he's the only he's the only one that's got the H on his head. So obviously they, they instantly assume that this is their Rimmer, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got big H on the wall behind him and everything, and it's become like a symbol of power. <laughs> he goes down to this lady in front of him, says, everybody avert your eyes from her beauty, <laughs> takes a mask back, and it's basically Rimmer wearing lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is... Um, Going back to my uh, IMDb obsession, yeah. and apart from Liz Hicklin playing the simulant, uh, the only other guest appearances we've got are the uncredited appearances of both Rebecca and Alison Marsh. Okay. Um, and that's who play the two clone Rimmer concubines. Ah, um, okay. Now, they've got masks on. You never see their faces. The only face you see is that of uh, Chris Barris. Yeah. Um, yet they've used identical twins to play the roles. Yeah. Which um, I'd never really considered before, but yeah, it's it's on IMDb. Uh, their only other IMDb listing is actually for the Benny Hill show in 1986. Oh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> which might, might give you an idea of... Why they were used. The yeah, not, if you're not looking at the face, you know where they are. You know where you guys might be looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what I thought with this is Chris Barry playing this um, Caesar-type look I thought he played the character very, very similar to how he played him in um, Demons and Angels, you know, the evil Rimmer. Yeah. It was yeah. just a very similar, I, I don't know what's a polite word to put in it. Just very... Well, they the mentioned on the commentary about um, Tony Hawk's playing uh, Caligula. Yeah. And how there seems to be like a, a Roman obsession with Red within Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it reminded me of the way he played Caligula as well. It was... It was funny, but it was it was almost disturbingly dark. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all these negative personality traits that have been genetically inherited, right? The, you know, we've we've got clones of Rimmer. Yeah. And basically, they've they're two faced, they're backstabbing, they're untrustworthy. Um, power obsessed. Um, now I've all, we've always been led to believe that this was more to do with his upbringing. He always blamed his parents, and um, it did seem to be, you know, to do with the way he was brought up. Yeah. The fact that all of these have gone that way, and they're all seen as positive things, and you know, the, they are the norm. Yeah. Um, seems to indicate that it might actually be genetically inherited. You know, uh, well, nature, I mean not nurture. Well, maybe maybe they they just pick up where Rimmer is. So basically, he's already got all those traits in him, and he's just making clones of him at that point in time. And then six hundred years after, so basically, um, well, just a planet full of Rimmers for six hundred years would probably generate that kind of thing. It would just become more of. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, overanalyzing again. <laughs> <laughs> The next scene starts, and the boys are thrown into a cell with Rimmer. He's kind of laid there with, um, with like a blanket over him, and he looks like the day they last saw him. He's, well, he's not dirty or anything. I know, I know, his hard light holograms there and everything, but you would assume that he got at least dirty. Or I mean, the only thing that has changed has been the stress balls. They've they've actually down into little <laughs> marbles, so he's obviously used them that much. They're little tiny ball bearings, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, surely, if, I mean, it says that he's been in here. It's taken them 600 years to get to him, and he's been in there for 557 years. Now, you would have thought with all the stress of, well, his his own clones taking over the planet, that he would have had a heart attack. <laughs> His uh, his health problems for this series do uh, for this episode do seem to last just for this episode, don't they? Yeah, uh, yeah. When it's convenient at the beginning, and it's basically all of it is done just purely for this one big gag at the end of the stress balls being reduced to tiny tiny marbles that he's pushing around the centre of the palm of his hand. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, yeah, it seems a little forced almost, it, you know, from the beginning. Um, not that it isn't funny, but yeah. They're being punished by death for being un like which, as we've just discussed, 
I can only assume that these traits are, that people have come to believe as you have to be like this, otherwise bad things happen. You well, you get killed. <laughs> well, but it, I mean, I like it when they first meet Rimmer and he slowly re- starts to remember them, and it's it's Kit, Titan, and is it Clister? Yeah, <laughs> and it, it just cracks me up, and you know, even to the point where Cat turns around and refers to them by that, you know, by these <laughs> new names. <laughs> yeah, Derek, does he call him uh, instead of Dave? Derek Clister, yeah, yeah, it's Derek Clister, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Lister's suggesting that they're going to break out and they'll make a run for it. And um, well, he's got an elaborate plan, hasn't he? We're going to scrape the mortar out of this brick. We're going to make a rope out of the twine off Rimmer's sheet and rig up a pulley system. And when the guard comes through, and we'll dress Rimmer up in his the guard's outfit and then fight our way back to the ship. <laughs> <laughs> and Crichton says, "Oh, we could just use the teleporter." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought that the teleporter was, as we mentioned earlier, I thought that that was the control system for the teleporter on the Simulant ship. Now, the Simulant ship is well blown up, so in theory that shouldn't work anymore, unless... Uh, you wouldn't have thought so. I mean, I was watching this well, I was watching this for the second time with the uh, cast commentary on. Yeah. Um, it, it suddenly dawned on me that... Um, the, my first thoughts were the teleporter keeps changing in Crichton's hand. Um, one minute I'm thinking, oh, it looks like the sandwich toaster with the joystick from Quarantine. Yeah. And then it keeps going to this longer, flatter panel with the handle on the side. So I had to go back and check. It was only when I went back to check and I realised um, when they land on the planet, Crichton's holding the uh, the one from Quarantine, which is the sandwich toaster with the joystick on. Right. Yeah. And that's the size scan. That's not actually the transporter. That's the size scan. Right, okay. Right. It's got no pockets. There's no bags. None of them's got bags, cases, or anything, right? But there is no sign of the teleporter. It's just the size scan in the hand. Yeah. Um, next scene, they use the size scan to, you know, scan Rimmer, and they find out that it's not a hologram Rimmer. This is actually one of the clones. Yeah. All right, next scene... That's gone. Size scans, nowhere to be seen, no bags, no cases, nothing. And suddenly they've got this um, matter transporter in the hands again. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it just seems to be for convenience place. Oh, you've got this now. Right, fast me that. You've got this now. Um, yeah, it just, it just doesn't quite work. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. But, I mean, the, the dolls still be stuck in that cell if they didn't have it. So <laughs> maybe, maybe these missing scenes or something. Um, where they go back or they get something or he's left it outside the door or you never know. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, they use the teleporter, they get out of there, but they end up on Starbug about two weeks in the future. So again, this teleporter is also a a time-travelling device. And they find out that Lister's missing and they're explaining that something horrible happened to Lister. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know... Oh, really? I mean, this this ties in perfectly for the scene. There's one thing I've got to say about this uh, episode. Yeah. Um, is it seems to t- tie up the series really well. Yeah. You know, it refers back a couple of weeks to... Um, there's, there's references back to Gunman of the Apocalypse. Yeah. A possible reference back to Mohawk with the ocean moon. And then you've got a reference to the next episode with the hideous thing that's happened to Lister. Yeah. And obviously we find out next week what that is, you know, with Lister missing from the scene. Yeah. Right. Originally, there was a, originally there was going to have the ending here where they beam out and we stick with the two weeks in the future version of the crew. Okay. And Lister basically walks in, emerges, and he's been in the toilet the whole time. So oh, the joke okay. being that there's actually nothing wrong with him, but our lot have gone back in time and they're obviously worrying about Lister's future. Right, uh, okay. As it is, I'm glad they left it the way it was. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. obviously, it, it, like I say, it ties everything. You know, it's one thing this episode does actually do well, is just ties in this whole series. Yeah, yeah. I thought, uh, I agree. I think storyline-wise, well, this series, I guess, it is quite tight. Everything fits together. Uh, there's some continuation. There's, I don't know. I, I, I thought it worked well. Yeah. Right. That's the episode review done. Next, the scores. For me, I thought it was an okay episode. 
I'd have liked to have seen more time on Rimmerworld. The the episode is entitled Rimmerworld. I would have liked to seen maybe if it was a longer episode or uh, I I don't know. There just seems something missing to to go through the whole thing of creating this Rimmerworld. Rimmer doing his little uh, monologue as he's going through everything. It seemed to be only a very small section of the episode. Um, for that, I give it a seven out of ten. Yeah, well, I'm, I've matched you with this one. I've gone for a seven. Um, you know, overall, it, it is a good episode. Um, like I say, with with the way it ties in this, um, you know, the whole of this season six. Yeah. Um, but it's like you said, there's not enough time spent on Rimmerworld. We get there and it's just set up and it's, right, we beam out. And you, they don't actually have to tackle anything or overcome anything. Um, it's To me, it's it's, a, it's another one of these missed opportunity episodes. You know, yeah. we could have really seen different aspects to Rimmer's personalities. You know, there could have been other mutant forms that were you know the you, you could have even had one that was closer to ace rimmer you know yeah it's yeah. not not got the negativity um not ace not not another episode to bring ace in but you could have had one that had certain traits and personality that belonged to ace yeah 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 and yeah it just to me it was a wasted opportunity it's um it, you just settled into it and it's finished and you think oh right and you feel as if you've been robbed of an ending yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, it's almost like it was cut 10 minutes too short. That That's yeah. the feeling I got from it. Yeah, I think they could have given us more at the end and tightened up the start of it a bit more. I, I, you know, that's my opinion. Yeah, cool. Well, that's um, very easy to work out. Uh, two sevens at 70%. The next section is what's going down in Groovestown after a quick advertisement from Tim's Take On podcast. This is a trailer for Tim's Take On, a show that brings you my instant reactions to that week's episode of Doctor Who. Well, I've just been watching Victory of the Daleks, an absolutely cracking episode written by Mark Gatiss. But also with plenty of comments from the Twitterverse, including these. Merv Dav says, Damn Doctor Who, I just get over enjoying a great episode and they tease an even better episode for next week. Can't wait a week. Ah. <laughs> Scotty112 says, Richard Madeley says, tonight's Doctor Who was S star star star. He is right. I've not watched it yet. Oh, is he right? Uh, no, he's wrong. So that's Tim's Take On at timstakeon.libsyn.com or find us on iTunes. All right, dudes. What's going down in Groovetown, then? Groovetown. Take it away, Anthony. Yeah, um... Well, the first bit of news, uh, Dan, um, also known as Smeekied on our forums. Uh, now, this is the guy that's written most of the forums, uh, most of the intros that we've done recently. Yeah. Um, now, he was at a Durham University event with Craig Charles at the weekend, which had Craig Charles DJing. And he did get a chance to mention to Craig Charles the unofficial radio announcement that he made. And Craig Charles just laughed it off and said that, you know, he said it did did actually it did actually make him chuckle, uh, and then would only say that talks haven't been finalised yet. So it's it's pretty much what's been what everybody thought and what's been you know reported on the official site. Yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, Dan's had it straight from Craig Charles's mouth. Um, he's not backed up anything he said within that radio announcement. Other than saying, <laughs> "Well, we're, we're in talks," you know. So I that's bet he's had that. his wrist slapped. <laughs> he, I would guess so. I mean, it was uh, it was Roberts. T- it was Roberts last time with the Back to Earth. Now it was Craig's this time. Um, so yeah, it'd be Danny's next time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, the only other news that we've got. Um, Rob Grant, according to the... This is off the official Red Dwarf site. Uh, Rob Grant is doing a two-day comedy writing course in Camden in London. Okay. Uh, now, if you're interested, it's it's not overly expensive, especially not if you're looking to work in this sort of area. Um, it's a two-day course. It's on, on October the 2nd and October the 3rd, uh, 2010, and it costs £250. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if that... If that appeals to you, um, if you're in that line of work and you quite fancy attending this uh, course, um, you can look at the details on www.reddwarf.co.uk. Cool. I think the only other thing we've got for Groovestown is uh, just just a quick thanks. Um, to We had a couple of comments 
basically saying welcome back. Uh, I know we were off for a while, but um, that was Anthony's holiday and <laughs> we needed a rest. But yeah, close to the stupid on the forum. I know you signed up way early last year when the podcast first started, um, but you mentioned it's your first time you've ever posted or anything. So, well, thank you very much for making it our forum. It's me, Steve C, on the uh, <laughs> Podbean site, again, saying welcome back, and it sounds really fresh. So I hope this one's just sounding just as well. And uh, if it doesn't, maybe we need another six weeks off to sound fresh again. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Parrot Spa, the place you can drink a curry-flavoured tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Parrot Spa. Well, we did what we said we were going to do, and we both got the Stormtrooper outfits. And, well, I don't know about you, Anthony, but I think they look fantastic. They, yeah, they look great on. Um, I don't know about you, I'm finding it painful as hell to wear. Uh, I think I think my legs are a bit too fat for the thigh pieces. Right. So what I'm getting is a roll of fat at the back of my knee bulging out, and every time I bend my legs, uh, it's pinching the flesh on the back of my leg. Ouch. Um, so yeah, I've got quite some quite severe bruising bruising to the back of my knees. Uh painful as hell to wear. Uh but even then still love it and I've got no regrets yet. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's it's just a case of I've um I know how I can extend the thigh pieces slightly and what have you. And it it is just a little bit it needs doing. I might put some sponging in to try and hold it off the knee a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean I'm not not that bloody big, so it, it came as a surprise that. Well, I, must I, reckon have, he, I reckon he must have cut it down wrong, the thigh pieces on ours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, I cycle to work every day and back, and there, let's, I'd say the thigh pieces are a snug fit on me. I that's, have, that's what it is, it's muscle. <laughs> I've overtrained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know about what you think, but I didn't expect to be spending the best part of nine ten hours putting the bloody thing together no and i've still got a bit of tweaking to do now um i've, I've trimmed a bit off the back pieces to try and stop it from trapping um, yeah yeah all that seems to have done is let a bit more roll of fat out so there's more for it to pinch now right yeah, okay <laughs> so I, I sort of regret shaving a bit off the back um but yeah the shoulder piece i need to get some bits of elastic to hold these this the hand covers yeah. and then there's the shoulder do they call them the bell parts shoulder bells yeah and um, i need to put some elastic that goes around the bicep and around the hand for the hand cover bits because velcro doesn't really hold it in the right place and position um the clips i've got that run across the back for the shoulders they don't hold it in they keep falling down oh. uh, so i've got that to do um like I say, just a bit of padding. I'm looking at the arm pieces as well. They they stop where they are. They're okay, but I think they might be more comfortable if I put some sponging in. Yeah, just to stop them from rattling about and sliding up and down all the bloody time. Yeah, I mean, I um, yeah, I don't know if you saw the post that I put on. I kind of went to town on it and I got a glue gun. Oh, I saw. I've I've done. Uh, mine is literally the. Uh, I've used Velcro and the clips that he provided with the straps and right, okay. you know just little plastic buckles you've gone for rivets oh and a glue gun as well i've, I've glued some of it together yeah you've gone for the, the hot glue gun and the rivets and yeah. <laughs> various pincers and clips and clamps and uh, yeah it's 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 quite entertaining looking at the pictures <laughs> you posted <laughs> well to be honest i mean apart from the calves everything is glued um i've got down down the bottom half of the legs the front half is glued and the back's velcro everything else is all in one piece now so i yeah. can just put it on like almost like a jumper and yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen the latest post that i put up on um i think it was facebook i put them on uh, it just fits really well it takes me about 10 minutes to get it on and off that's not bad at all 10 minutes yeah so i'm, I'm really impressed with it and it, it feels nice and snug and everything i mean but it did take me the entire of saturday well mine just seemed a little it just seems a little loose, especially around the chest. You know, the abdomen uh, yeah. plate, the bit at the front and the back. And it weren't until I put some straps on the side with some clips on. And I've literally got to breathe in and get somebody else to fasten the last clip for me. Right. But once okay. they do, it just seems to pull it all in, hold it all together. It's just so much more comfortable. Right, okay. You know, the whole thing. The only trouble is it is 
bloody solid and there's no bending i can't, <laughs> can't look down and <laughs> um mine's not too bad i can i mean I, I spent quite a lot of time trimming the legs and trimming everything so it, it fit for me i yeah. mean i'm only what five nine and i think that suit would have worked perfect for somebody who was maybe quite a skinny six foot yeah yeah well i'm five nine as well so oh well there we go um, we're both a little short to be a stormtrooper. <laughs> not as, uh, my uh, uh, Amanda tried it on, you know. Yeah, I've not I've not posted the picture. She'll not let me post them, but it looks like a stormtrooper that's been through a compactor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, that is the definition of a little short for a stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope she don't listen to this. <laughs> you want to talk about the festival you're going to? Yeah, well, I'm I'm off on Saturday, so it'll be a couple of days after this is released. Yeah, um, there's the Splendor Festival at Nottingham's uh, Woolerton Hall. Okay. Um, now we went last year. It's it's just like a local festival. We went last year uh, mostly because of a, a friend that was playing with his band, and they were on stage with uh, Ash and. Um, I can't remember who else was performing in that tent. Uh, the main stage was uh, fun-loving criminals, um, the Pogues, and it finished oh, sure. off with madness. Uh, this was last year. Yeah. Uh, so I've been been looking at this year's, and we've decided, oh, stuff it will go. Um, you've got Pet Shop Boys as the headliners. Um, we've also there's athlete, uh, Terrorvision, Shed Seven, along with various others. I think there's a comedy tent this year as well. So yeah, that should be a good day. Um, now I did suggest going dressed as a stormtrooper, and I got the def- I got the dirty look and uh, definitely <laughs> no. <laughs> right, got you. <laughs> Which, to be fair with you, probably a good idea because uh, the, the I know the um, the toilets are a little on the small size. Yeah, um, not going back, not really want to discuss it too much, but I don't think I found a way that you could actually wear that and go to the toilet. (laughs) Well, I think uh, a man might be able to get hold of some catheters for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) okay. I was listening to, well, while I was doing the suit, uh, putting it all together, I was catching up on my podcast in the background. And I know when we mentioned on the last podcast, the South Philly podcast, Listen to this one, and um, lo and behold, I hear our voice at the beginning of it. So, well, thank you very much for that. Well, the whole episode is um, dedicated to us, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because of the uh, podcast of the week. Uh, in fact, the intro uses stolen content from the last Scuttercast. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, that was – I mean, it didn't have to. I'm, I, we've sent a few emails back and forth of um, podcasts suggestions talking about podcasts that we both listen to um but yeah he's uh i mean not just that the whole episode though even without the scuttercast intro i don't know about you i thought it was absolutely hilarious i was crying listening to it it was brilliant i tell you what this episode reminded me of because it was a lot of small skits robot chicken you know how robot chicken do like 30 second 30 second 30 second and that, yeah, that's what it reminded see, me of. It was see, brilliant. normally he's got one idea that he'll run with. There's like one particular theme to an episode. This yeah. one, yeah, like you say, it just seems to be much shorter little skits, you know. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, uh, you, you'll have to check that out, people. South Philly podcast, really good. Yeah. Um, go on, speaking of podcasts, you've got some news as well, haven't you? Yeah, I got an email from, well, um, Fee, um, who does the eccentric cast, is a member of the forum, uh, Fee3, Fee3. You probably heard her on the Suckcast as well. She is doing with one of her friends, um, sorry, I don't know which one it is. She's doing a Doctor Who podcast. Um, she's already recorded it. Uh, we've already set up the section on the Fiction Shed forum for her. I did that today. And episode one is recorded, and that should be out on Thursday. So um, feel free to have a listen to that. Um, but they're, they're big, big doctor who fans so it'd be interesting to see where they go with it i mean i know there's quite a few doctor who podcasts out there but um it's worth giving it a listen uh again mentioning doctor who podcasts i think it'll i think it'll suit her really well because she she certainly knows uh doctor who stuff yeah uh, you know if you listen to them speaking on the eccentricast she's quite often she she seems to know things about doctor who that her friends don't know and i think that makes for it, it it'll be it'll be a good podcast i think yeah yeah um uh, i mean i also wanted to mention i've just found out about this and listened to the only episode that's up yet um there's another doctor who podcast that's just been started okay uh, from 
it's Ross from the Creeping with Armstrong podcast. Okay. Um, some of you might know him as Revolting Ross on Twitter. All right, now it's called the Animatronic Nude Dodo. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, they, I mean, it, it's explained. The title of the podcast is uh, explained in the first episode, where basically they flick through a Doctor Who book. Uh, Ross was flicking through, and somebody else was saying, "Right, stop!" And that's where each word came from, and it created the name animatronic nude dodo. Right. It's okay. a Doctor. Who, it's a Doctor Who podcast, and um, it's got Ross in it from Creeping with Armstrong. So uh, there's only one episode out so far, but yeah, I've really enjoyed that one as well. Um, it seems to be the Doctor Who podcast special. This week's podcast of the week is, again, another Doctor Who podcast. Um, well, over to you to take it away. This week's uh, podcast, it's, it's one of my favourite Doctor Who podcasts. Uh, now, over the last year or so, I've tried loads of them. There's loads of Doctor Who podcasts out there, and I've tried quite a few of them. Um, I mean, for a long while, I really loved the Doctor Who online Right, okay. um, and Tony left, um, you know, and it just wasn't the same without him. Uh, I then found out Tony had started the Flashing Blade, so I went and listened to the Flashing Blade, but it wasn't quite the same. It wasn't the same as Doctor Who Online and what have you. Uh, the problem I've got with Doctor Who podcasts is just that there's um, so much choice out there. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I enjoy Doctor Who, but I don't, I'm, I'm not really into loads and loads and loads and loads of over-analysis that goes on too long. Um, I'm not as heavily into it as a lot of people out there. You know, it's a, it's a show I enjoy. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm having fun going back over some of the older ones, but uh, yeah, I don't need too much detail. Now, this one, the podcast of the week is called Tim's Take On. Now, this one's perfect for me because it's just very short, very informative, and straight to the point. And there's no over-analysis. It's just a genuine enthusiasm. Okay. And I think that is what I was looking for in a Doctor Who podcast that I struggled to come up with. Um, a lot, you know, most of the others were very, um, very similar. Yeah. Uh, now, I first came across this. I came across Tim uh, back when I was uh, using Twitter. Okay. And I think... I think I'd done a, I was looking for a particular tweet uh, to reply to, and I knew they'd used the word Scuttercast, and so I'd done a search on the Scuttercast on Twitter, and yeah. I came across one from Tim saying, listening, currently listening to Scuttercast. Okay. Um, and so I clicked to follow him, and he clicked to follow me, and we've had a couple of uh, back-and-forth messages. I wouldn't say we particularly know each other, but... Um, yeah, there was a couple of messages back and forth about some, you know, stuff going off in the news and what have you. Um, and it wasn't until I'd been I'd been following him for quite a few months before I found out that he had his own podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, so Tim, if you're listening to this, you really should tweet more about it because I, I didn't know back then. Um, now there's there's currently uh, there's two Tim's take on uh, feeds out there. Um, the older episodes uh, can be found at, uh, there's no www, it's just tto.mypodcast.com. Okay. Right. Now, they take you up to January 2010. Yeah. After this, he jumped, uh, he changed on to Libsyn. And, I mean, both feeds, um, last time I checked, were still available on iTunes as well. Okay. So he changed to Libsyn. And this is, again, no www, it's Tim's Take On dot libsyn dot com um, now the latest feed starts off with a rundown of each doctor from first to I think it's all the way through to the tenth I think okay um, now as soon as the te now as soon as it's covered all ten doctors it then runs straight into an immediate reaction to each of Matt Smith's episodes right okay right now um, he did this he, he he uploads these, records it, and uploads it within minutes of Doctor Who finishing, which is something okay. that I always liked. Um, you can hear um, the... Uh, is it Doctor Who Confidential? Yes, yes. In the you can hear the Doctor Who Confidential music playing in the background as he starts recording. And basically... He goes through his opinion, uh, the public's opinion via Twitter, uh, and just just gets straight to the point. It's it's just an initial response uh, from a genuine fan. Right. Uh, now, as well as all this, he also uploads, he goes to a lot of the conventions and fan gatherings, so he uploads a lot of recorded material from them. Oh, okay. uh, 
and it's obviously it's variable quality because it depends you know where the gathering's taken place how close you are to the speaker what the acoustics are like um there's even an episode that's uh, doctor who locations pub crawl you know oh, that okay. was back on the old feed in fact that's the first one i listened to back on the uh, old feed um, so yeah i i highly recommend this one it's one it, i think I'll, because there's such a multitude of doctor who podcasts out there it would be easy to miss this one yeah, and yeah. I think it is well worth a listen, mostly because it's it's such a straight, direct, straight to the point one. Um, it's not the only Doctor Who podcast I listen to. It is probably my favourite one at the moment. I mean, obviously there's another couple starting soon, that, uh, but yeah, tips take on. Give it a try. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. If you want to come join us on the forum, it's reddwarforum.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash Red Dwarf Forum. If you want to email us, it's scuttercast at reddwarfforum.com. And finally, if you want to find us on Facebook, it's under the main Fiction Shed name. And obviously there you can find um, Fee's new podcast as well, because that'll be appearing in the feed. So that's it for this week. We'll be back in two weeks with the episode Out of Time. So until then, goodbye. Bye.